Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray that God, as we turn to your word this morning, God, that you would speak clearly to us. God, I ask you to bless this time. That God, we would hear your truth. And that your truth would make us more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 12 today, but before we get into Romans 12, I want to take a moment and I want us to just consider what Paul says in Ephesians 4. We just meditated on Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. I want us to, to just think about this, this chapter. It's such an important chapter of Scripture as we think about the, the calling that Christ has placed upon us to live in a manner worthy of, of Christ. The, the fact that He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, that He has taken us from being aliens and strangers and brought us into his household. As we look this morning at, at Romans 12 and what it means to live as the body of Christ, I want us to take a moment to think about what Paul says in Ephesians 4. And so if you want to turn there to Ephesians 4 and then you can put your finger in Romans 12, we'll jump over there in just a moment. But in Ephesians 4, Paul begins by saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, and he calls us to do that with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now that sounds eerily similar to Romans 12.3, right? We talked about the call that Christ has on our lives to, to live in a manner in which we are humble, that we would reject pride, that we would th not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, right? And he says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he has this classic statement in verse 4 of Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one Paul is driving home. There is a, a unity in the household of God. There is a unity in the body of Christ. But, he says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We each have been given grace of the Lord, from the Lord. And he goes on, and he, he goes on, if you skip down there into verse 11, he, he starts talking about what it means that he gave grace, varying grace to each one of us. He says, and, and in fact, he gave some, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. For building up the body of Christ. What's the end goal? 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The reason God has gifted us, the reason God has, has given us these that would, would be more offices of the church is for the building up and the equipping of the saints until we grow into maturity. What is that maturity? It's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, what is the purpose? Why do we want to grow into maturity? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, if there is a verse that is more relevant to our day, find it. 
That verse speaks to where we're at. We are called into the body of Christ. Why? That we might grow into maturity. Why? Because we are surrounded by winds of false doctrine. We are surrounded by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes that would seek to undermine the truth. But God has called us and placed us in the household of faith that he said in Ephesians 2. Why? That we might grow up in the unity and grow up as the body of Christ. And that brings us to the verse that we just meditated on. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to proclaim the truth. We are to speak the truth in love. Why? So that the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, would work properly, or when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Makes the body grow. God's purpose for the church is not that we sit as bumps on a log. God's purpose for the church is not that we just come and we go to church. So this morning, we're going to look at Romans 12. If you want to flip over to Romans 12, as we look to Romans 12, I want to give you just a simple theme for Romans 12, 4 through 8. A simple truth this morning that maybe it's kind of that thing, okay, if this is what I'm going to come away with today, this is what it needs to be. That we have stopped, we have got to stop just going to church. And instead, we must be the church. So stop just going to church. Like we, we, we would probably do well to just wipe that out of our vernacular. Wipe that out of the way we talk about it. I'm going to go to church. Why don't we go and let's go to worship and let's be the church. Let's make that the theme of what we're looking at today, Romans 12, 4 through 8, that we would stop just going to church and instead that we would begin to be the church or continue, in some people's case, continue to be the church. When we look at Paul's description of the church, we look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we look at 1 Corinthians 12 that we studied in, back in July, we look at our passage today in Romans 12, we look at passages all throughout the New Testament, we see that the church is not something to which we just go to. There's nowhere in the biblical understanding in which we would be convinced that we just go to church. The biblical understanding, the biblical view is that the church is who we are. It's who we are. And if we are going to be the church, it means that we function as a body. This is one of the metaphors that, that God has given us. We, we don't see that metaphor until Christ comes. We see the people of God called out for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, for the purpose of making God's name known. We see that throughout the Old Testament. When Christ comes, he calls us into this community of believers, into the church in which he describes us as a body, as a family, as a temple unto the Lord. And so Romans 12 calls us to that again. He, it is a sister passage for 1 Corinthians 12 that we've already looked at. It is very much identical and saying pretty much the same thing that we looked at in 1 Corinthians 12 in July. And so I want us to, to look at this passage and I want us to, to just simply consider today what does it mean for us to be 
the church. What does it mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me to be the church? Let's read this passage together. And we'll start back in verse 3, which we covered a couple weeks ago, or three weeks ago. So we have the context here. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now, I just want to point something out here. Typically, Paul says the body of Christ in reference to to this. Here he says we are one body in Christ. He's talking about the, the union in Christ, and he's talking about one body. He's stressing the unity we have as one body in Christ. He's not just the body of Christ. He's not contradicting himself here. It's not necessarily different. It's just the way he is wording it is stressing the unity that we have as one body in union with Christ. Okay, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy In proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Paul begins verse 4 with the the word for. He he is continuing his train of thought. He's continuing that train of thought. In verses 1 through 2, he calls us to live our lives as spiritual acts of worship. And he calls us to have our minds renewed in Christ, not to be conformed to the world, but have our minds transformed by their renewal in Christ. In verse 3, we we talked about how that renewing of our minds works its way out in humility, that we live in humility. We do not live in pride. We do not live seeking to, to bring glory to ourselves, but we live in a way that is considering the needs and the longings and the the desires of others above our own and so we see now as we get into verse four through eight that that renewing of the mind that that starts in humility leads us to live and to function as the church as we serve one another we're not going to serve one another if we're not humble if i'm only thinking about myself and i'm only doing what's best for todd it's going to be really hard for me to really serve you and to use my gifts for you Because if I'm not humble, I'm going to be doing what? I'm going to be using them for me. I'm going to be focused on me and what I can get out of it and how I can look better. What my needs are, what my desires are. And so Paul calls us to humility. And then he gives us four truths. And we're going to zip right through these because I don't think these are anything profound and new necessarily to us right now with the context of where we've been the last few weeks in sermons. So in verses 4 through 5, he gives us... Four truths. Here's the first one. In verse 4, we have one body, right? You, you did not walk in here with multiple bodies this morning. You walked in as one body, and you're sitting with one body in your chair. This is nothing profound. This is pretty simple. Paul's saying, hey, look, you have one body. Verse 4. Second thing he says in verse 4 is he says, now, that one body you have, it has many members, Right? None of us just rolled into the sanctuary as a big eyeball and had somebody pop us up into a chair. No. We have many members in that body. There are many parts of that body. 
And we understand that. It's nothing profound. The third truth is that our members have different functions. My hand is not looking over here. Right? That's not what the function of my hand is. I'm seeing over here because that's the function of my eyes. Every member of my body has a different function. I'm standing because my feet are doing what they're called to do. I'm talking because my vocal cords are doing what they're supposed to do. I see you because my eyes are doing what they're supposed to do. And every part of my body has a different function. The third truth. So the fourth truth then, Paul says in verse 5, is that likewise the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. So just like we have one body that has many members that have different functions, the body of Christ is one with many members with many different functions. It's not that profound, is it? It's not, it doesn't just blow us away. I would say most everyone in here, if not everyone in here, understands that. We get that. We, we see it. So here's the question. If, if, if that's the case, if that's something we would say, yeah, okay, I get that, then why is it that, that we tend to struggle to really live as the body of Christ at times? Why is it that that we can fall into not being the church and we can slip into this kind of routine of just going to church and being satisfied with that. I think there's four reasons. There's four reasons that we struggle to live as the body of Christ. Here's the first one. is it Our attitude towards God. The, the first reason that we would struggle to live as the body of Christ is our attitude towards God, that we would reject the truth that God will meet our every need and has given us the church as a conduit of His grace. We would reject that idea, and so instead we would seek to get our needs met elsewhere, through different people, through stuff. We're going to have our needs met somewhere else. Instead of saying, this is what God has saved us into, the church, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to trust Him that He has provided the church for my needs and for my growth in Him, and so I'm going to come and I'm going to be engaged and plugged into the church and be the church. The second struggle I think we have is our attitude towards ourself. That we tend to have the default position to pridefully seek after our own, our own interest. Now, and I feel like, I don't know, I may be wrong on this, but I would say most of you would identify with that. That if you're not growing in Christ, that you're not actively seeking the Lord, that your default would be to operate for your own self-interest. That's my default. Outside of Christ, outside of the presence of the Spirit in my life, the work of the Spirit in my life, I am going to be selfish. I will confess that to you. That it is only by the grace of God that I would live in humility. Because otherwise, it is all about me, myself, and I. But it, Praise God. Praise God that, that His Spirit in me leads me away from that, that I might use my gifts for His glory and for the good of others. But instead, when we struggle with that, and we struggle with our attitudes to ourselves and we're inward looking, we use our gifts for our own glory and for our own gain. And that can prevent us from really being the church. Our third, third struggle, I would say, would be our attitude towards others in the body. Our attitude towards others. We want them to look like us, act like us, serve us, instead of seeking ways to encourage, minister to, and build them up. We, we want them to be like us. We want them to use their gifts for us. 
Or we might even be envious of their gifts. We might even say, I want to be like that. Why can't I be like that? Why does he have so much success? Why is he given this opportunity? So we get envious. We get jealous. We're selfish. Our attitude towards others and the way we approach them. And so when we approach people according to this, we, we kind of approach them with this attitude of what can they do for me? And so we walk into the doors, and instead of being the church, we walk into the doors expecting everyone to come and just to serve me. What can they do for me? And if I walk out feeling like, well, man, nobody did anything for me, then I'm disappointed, and I'm upset, and I'm grumpy, and I'm complaining. The fourth attitude, and it prevents us from being the church, is our attitude towards the very nature and the structure of the church. Our attitude or our understanding of what the church is. I think sometimes we walk in or we function or we approach the church expecting the church to operate like a business or a club. We, I, I think in my mind, I was thinking about this week, and I think a lot of times we think the church should operate like the, the Green Bay Packers organization. And I, I say specifically the Packers, not because I'm a Packers fan, but because the Packers organization is different than every other NFL team. And it's set up in a way that I think is really how sometimes we look at the church. Because we have the front office, and then we have the players, and then we have thousands of owners. See, the Packers are set up where they're owned by the city, and, and if I want to be an owner, I can buy into the Packers and be an owner. And I think we approach it the same way, where we go, you know what? Well, the church has the front office of the pastors, and they make the decisions. And they're kind of the guys who, who do the TV spots, and, and they're the guys with the suits on. And then we got the players. They're the ones that actually do a few things. They're up here maybe singing, doing some worship leading, maybe teaching a class. And, man, we like those players. Boy, he really knocks it out of the park. I mean, he is great. What a great player. What a great get that guy was. And then the rest of us are just owners. We sit back and go, wow, this is great. Man, when it's going good, I love the Packers. Love it. But when they're not, oh, oh, man, when the administration, when they make some decisions, I don't know about, buddy, I'm grumbling. I'm upset. Is that not how sometimes we approach the church? That I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch the players and I'm going to listen to the administration, the front office, and if they're doing well, if the players, if they're singing nice up here and the worship was good and they sang enough praise songs or they sang enough hymns, let's balance this thing out every week. Or if they taught the right lesson and that study, I really liked it. And man, I'm with them. But buddy, if they don't, if, I don't like that study. I didn't like that lesson. I didn't like that sermon. I didn't like that song. I didn't like the way that was sung. It was sung too fast. It was sung too slow. It was too loud. Too much guitar, not enough violin, too much horn. I don't like it. And we grumble. Those attitudes undermine our ability to be the church. Those attitudes are self-centered and focused on us, and they are not what Paul calls us to. In fact, in Romans 12, Paul contradicts each one of these wrong attitudes. Look at verses 4 through 5 where he reminds us that we are the body of Christ. This changes our attitude because it means that we need each part of the body that God has given us. 
It means that if we're a part of the body of Christ, he says, listen, this church, my people, or the body of Christ, it means that church is not a matter of convenience. It is a necessity that God has provided for our own flourishing. It's not just a matter of convenience. So think about it this way. Let's go back to the, the physical metaphor, the analogy that Paul's using. If, if I have Dason Ritchie come up here in a few moments and say, Dason, would you just remove my hand? And Dason removes my hand and lays it there outside of it being a gruesome moment for our church. What's going to happen? Is my hand going to do anything? No. As a matter of fact, it's going to be quite rotten by the time next week gets here. It's going to decay. It's going to rot. It's going to deteriorate. It dies. My hand needs the rest of my body. It needs my heart. It needs my nervous system. So if you remove a member of your body, it dies. We need the body of Christ. We need leadership from the head, which is Christ. I am not the head of this church. Christ is the head of the church. And we need leadership from the head. We need care from the other parts of the body. That's why our covenant stresses that we would not give up meeting together. Because we understand that, that the church is not just a convenience. It's not just convenient to go to church. It is something that is the necessity for the people of God. Because we're a part of the body of Christ. So that contradicts. It challenges our attitude. That church is just something we go to. That it's something about me. It's selfishness. That, that everybody's there to meet my needs. It, it challenges those attitudes. The second thing does, that Paul does in verse 6 through 8 is that he reminds us that our gifts are given to us by God and should be used for the sake of others. Our, our gifts have been given to us by God. Look at verses 6 through 8. Just skim them real quick in your Bible. Can you tell me which one of these are supposed to be used on self? I can't either. As best as I can tell, they're all directed to the body. As, as best as I can see, none of them are to be held back and not used. They're all to be used. And they're all to be used for the good of others. So here's the realization. Is that using your God-given gifts in our body of believers here will be a blessing to others. The opposite is true. If you don't use your God-given gifts, it deprives others of being blessed and ministered to by you. So we are given gifts. Why? We're given gifts for the good of the body. Listen, I, I would tell you this, that a sign of health and maturity for a local body of believers is that that local body of believers is one in which the body is actively serving one another. It's actively engaged in ministry. It's not a body of believers that would fall under something, that, a term, term that was coined years ago, the 2080 principle. That 20% of the church are doing 80% of the ministry. That's not a healthy church. It's not a healthy church at all. See, a, a mature church, a growing church, a healthy church is one in which the body of Christ is actively serving one another. That every person that is a covenant member says, I am looking and I am searching for ways that I can serve. 
This is something that God has gifted me in, and I'm going to use that gift for the good of the body. I'm not going to just go to church. I'm going to be the church. I'm going to walk into church not thinking, what can I get from others? What can they do for me? But I'm going to walk into church thinking, how can I serve others? How can I encourage one another? How can I build others up? How can I spur them on in their faith? How can I serve them? How can I use the gifts that God has given me for the good of my local body? That is the sign of a mature church, one that serves one another. In verse 5, Paul challenges wrong attitudes again by reminding us that we depend upon one another. We depend upon one another. He says, look, look in verse 5. He says, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That's the ESV, the NIV. I think the NIV really captures what this means here. He says, each member belongs to all the others. The NIV does a very good job of capturing the meaning of that statement. That each member belongs to all the others. We have a mutual responsibility toward and a dependency upon one another as the body of Christ. Just like the parts of my physical body has a mutual responsibility to one another. All ten of my toes have the mutual responsibility of helping me to stand here with balance. We have a dependency upon one another. James Montgomery Boyce talks about this. He says that, that you cheat them if you do not use your gift and you are poorer if you do not depend on them to use theirs. That if we neglect the use of our giftedness, that we cheat those in our body. But if we also don't depend on others to use their giftedness and to, to, to minister to us, then we're all the poorer. We've missed it. We've lost out. Again, that is why we adopted our church covenant. It's why we make sure that everyone who comes in membership says, I've read and I understand and I commit to the church covenant because we understand that we have a responsibility to one another. That as a covenant member, I have a responsibility to you and you have a responsibility to me to encourage and build one another up, to minister to one another, to care for one another. The final thing Paul does in verses 4 through 5 is that he reminds us that the church is a living organism that functions not like a business and not like an organization, but it functions as a body. It's what we've been talking about, that every member has a function, every member of the church has a function. That we are not a business, we are a body, we're not an organization, we're a body, we must care for one another appropriately then. We have to live in a way that builds one another up. It's who we are. And so the question comes back again, do you just go to church? Do you just come? Or are you being the church? Are you coming and seeking to be a member of the body? Are you dependent upon the other members of the body? So that brings us to this. If we are to live as the body, we need to consider our giftedness and how we might use them for the good of the body. If we're going to be that, if we're going to say, you know, I don't want to just go to church, I want to be the church, if that's the case, then we have to consider what is our giftedness. What is our giftedness? And how do we, how do we use our gifts for the good of others in the body? Look, I just want to look at Ephesians, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 4, Briefly, verse 7 through 11 is the, the passage that Pastor Ricky read 
where Peter writes, he says, To the end of all things, or the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each, now listen to verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see, what is the, what's the purpose? God's glory. And if we're going to glorify God with our gifts, then how do we use them? We use them as good stewards. The, the one who is a good steward of God gifts, God's gifts is the one who longs not to bring glory to self, but to bring glory to God. He does not spend time figuring out how the gift can benefit me, but how it can benefit others. He does not use God's gift for the benefit of every organization but the church. No, his primary concern is for the good of his body and making God known. He's the one who does not envy the gifts of others, but is thankful for each member and the ability that they have to serve in the body. He does not use his gifts to, to sow disunity, but to sow unity. And he does not think selfishly of his gifts, but realizes that they are gifts given by God, and therefore he is called to be a steward of those gifts. It, that's who we are, as a good steward. That's what it means that we understand that the gifts that I've been given, it's not just for me. It's not just to, to puff me up, but it's for you and for the glory of God. And so I need to be using my gifts as such. Look at Paul, back in, back, we're back to Romans 12. I'm sorry, I'm flipping around on you a lot this morning. But back in Romans 12, what does he say in verse 6? He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, just set them aside and don't use them. Does anybody's translation say that? No. If it does, throw it away on your way out. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. God has gifted us so that we would use our gifts. He's given us gifts that we might use them for the good of His body, for the glory of His name. He didn't give us gifts to, to leave them sitting on the table. I had the opportunity to go dove hunting Monday night. I haven't been dove hunting in years, and we drive up to this farm, and, and they had provided pretty much everything we needed, and we walk up, and there, there's a big table with a bunch of shotguns on it. And they said, you just pick whichever one you want. Well, I brought my own shotgun, one that my dad had given me when I was very young, and, and so I brought it, and I said, you know what? I want to use my own. I'm going to use mine. The other guys all but one of the other guys with us, they, they picked up a different gun and went out there, and we went dove hunting. Don't ask me how successful it was. We were very successful at throwing lead, but not successful at much else. But you know what we did? We used those guns. You know what we didn't do? We didn't go, huh, there's some good guns. They look like they would probably be able to kill a bird, but I'm going to just leave them there, and I'm going to go walk out and just sit and watch birds and hope they fall out of the sky. No. We didn't do that. I didn't go, man, I have this shotgun from my dad, but I just don't want to use it for that. No, the only reason I have that shotgun is to shoot birds. 
So I wanted to shoot them with it. I wanted to use it. Do we approach our gifts that way? I, I just wonder if we sit back and we go, man, I'm gifted, but I'm just going to leave it sitting aside. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to use it. Or I wonder if we would use it for something that it's not intended to be used for. Or if we would use it elsewhere instead of where God has called us to use it. So we have to use our gifts, which raises a pretty important question. What in the world are the gifts that God gives? What are they? Paul, Paul lists seven gifts here in Romans 12. He, he talks about uh, prophecy, service, the one who teaches, exhortation, uh, the one who gives, the one who leads, the one who does acts of mercy. There's seven different gifts there. We find other passages such as Ephesians uh, 4, 1 Peter 4, uh, Roman, or, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, all give lists of spiritual gifts. There's 18 to 20 specific gifts given in Scripture. Gifts that would include prophecy, evangelism, discernment of spirits, wisdom, teaching, encouragement, miracles, healing, service, helping, leading, tongues, interpretation of tongues, giving, faith, and mercy. All of those are listed in Scripture as a gift from the Lord. But there's nowhere in the Scriptures that says this, these are the only gifts. These are not given as though it's an exhaustive list. These are simply places where the apostles wrote and they wrote of gifts that, had, that the Lord gives. But there's nowhere in there that would indicate that we say, you know what, those are the only gifts given. I, I would contend on a very practical level that it does not list musical giftedness in there. But thanks be to God that we have people behind me that are very gifted musically who can lead us in worship. And so these are the gifts, not an exhaustive list, but it's an example of the gifts that, that God gives and God provides, which raises another question, how do I know my gift? How do I know my gift? And I gave you a pretty similar application back in July, but I'm going to do it again because we need to keep asking and thinking about our gifts in this way. If you don't know where you're gifted or you're sitting there going, well, I want to be the body, but I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know what my giftedness is. I'm not gifted. Well, one, don't buy that lie that God has not given you a gift. If you're a believer, God has gifted you. God has given you a gift. So what do I do? How do I understand and know my gift? The first thing I would say is, is consider the things that I said, I, I rattled off that list pretty quickly, but when you look at the gifts in the Scripture that are listed, does any of those appeal to you? Do any of, you, any of those resonate and stand out and, and make you think, man, this is something I really enjoy. I, I'm, I'm pretty decent at that, right? But the second thing you can do is ask a friend, ask a teacher, ask a pastor to share ways that they see you gifted. To, to sit down with you and say, you know what, this is something I see in your life that I think God has really gifted you in that area. And then the final thing I would say is the same thing I said back in July is to get involved in some type of ministry. One of the best ways to find out if you're really good at something is to try it. I tried swimming one time. <laughs> I made like half a lap and thought I was going to die. I was close enough to the side to hold on. Not a good swimmer. Go try something. Get involved in a ministry. Get plugged in. Which brings us to another question then. How? How do I use my gift? Where do I get plugged in? This is, this is that moment where I say, let's get plugged in and just give us just a little bit and be patient with us. This is that moment when, where I get to tell you that right now our deacons are working on kind of refocusing the deacon ministry and what it looks like. We're making some changes and, and readjusting the way we approach deacon ministry. Verse 7 of chapter 12 actually uses the word deacon. 
verse 7 says, if service in our serving. You know, it doesn't really indicate like if service in our serving, in our deaconing, as, let us deacon in a way of like an office. It's more the fact that the word deacon is based on the word that means to serve, to minister. So he's talking about the act of deaconing here in verse 7. But our deacons are called to serve. Our deacons are called to minister. And so we're looking at how do we help our deacon ministry to do what it's called to do? How do we help our deacon ministry to serve and to minister actively? And so we're working and we're, we're going through and, and just determining what are the best ministry areas and ministry teams that could come out of our deacons. We've set them aside as particularly gifted as, as servants here at the church. And so what does that look like for them to come together and to minister in these specific areas where God has gifted them? And here's how this really impacts you. is because once that works its way out here in the next month or so, once it gets accomplished and figured out, those teams are not just for deacons. Those teams are teams in which there may be one or two or three deacons on it, but they are going to need you to come alongside with them and plug in with them and help them and minister alongside them. There are teams in which we would see a great expansion of ministry opportunity and capability in our church. And so we're, we're excited about that. So I would say, be patient. We're positioning ourselves here at Grace to expand our ministry opportunities as a church body. And right now, because of our situation, it's a little, it's, it's a little restricted, honestly. But we want to position ourselves so that when everything gets back to whatever the new normal is, when we're a little more free to go about and do ministry, that we can go and we can hit the ground running. And so I want you to be praying. I want you to be considering what does it look like for me to be the church? What would it look like if I would say, you know what, honestly, I just go to church. What would it look like for me to transition from just going to church to being the church? I am grateful that we have so many of you that are serving. We went through and just printed off a list of our membership and just wrote by every name somewhere where they were serving for people who are serving. And it was so encouraging to see how many people have something by their name. They're doing something and serving in the body. That's encouraging. But we're not at 100%. And we're not going to stop in this area until we're at 100%. And so some of you are going, oh, great, he's going to come talk to me. Yeah, we are. We want you engaged. We want you being the church in some way. In some way, engaged in serving the body of Christ. So, as our conclusion to the sermon this morning, I mentioned it a couple times, we're going to read the church covenant together. We're going to walk through and just read this together. And, and so, I would just ask, we'll do it responsively. And, and I want you to hear this. If you're not a member of grace, here's what I would ask you to do. Is, is simply listen. You can read it. There's nothing wrong with reading it if you want to read it. But as you read it, I want you to listen to the commitment that we've made to one another. And members, I want you to be reminded this is what it looks like to be the church at Grace. This is what we have committed to for one another as a church body. So let's read the church covenant together. Having, as we believe, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, 
solemnly and joyfully make our covenant with each other. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will walk together in brotherly love, as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and a holy life. If God should move us from Somerset, we will, as soon as possible, unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Let's, oh, sorry. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have brought us into your body and God we pray that we would not just go to church but God we would actively seek to be the church God for some that that means just using their gift of encouragement God for some it means the way they give for some it means teaching Lord for some it means sharing the gospel for some it means leading worship for some, it means taking care of the grounds. God, it, it looks so different for each one of us because you have gifted us in various ways. But God, we know that you did that because we are individually members of your body and that every member has a function and that when we all carry out our function, God, we grow into maturity, into Christ, our head. And so God, we pray that we would be the church that, God, we would take this covenant seriously as covenant members of Grace Baptist, that we would care for one another and love one another as your body. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, O Church Arise. I invite you to stand and to worship with us this morning as we close.